This is the Prairie Prophets Podcast with host Brandon Butler. On this episode of Prairie Prophets, we're joined by Lucas Brass, Area Soil Health Specialist with the USDA's NRCS. We're going to get into some of this alphabet soup, try to learn what these acronyms actually stand for. But if you go back to episode four of Prairie Prophets TV, Lucas was one of the NRCS guys we had in that episode talking about soil health and how runoff causes erosion. Lucas, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Brandon. Thanks a lot. I appreciate you guys uh, giving me a buzz and bring me in. Appreciate you guys doing the Prairie Profits and including us on that. It was good to see that. And, you know, I enjoyed watching it and seeing you guys' travels down the river. You even went through my old hometown. So, so that was pretty cool. Where's your hometown? Uh, West Alton, Missouri is, is where I grew up. At the, right there at the mouth of the Missouri River. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's home for me. Kind of floodplain area, but. You know, the funny thing is growing up in the bottomland and the floodplain, I never, we don't, we don't really think about erosion because we don't see it in our fields. But then as I, you know, went to school and found out in RCS who they were at a, at a career fair and I went and talked to them and, you know, they, uh, they're like, have you never heard of us? You're a farmer and you never heard of us? I'm like, no, we, we don't, we don't have erosion issues. So yeah, it was kind of, it was kind of neat. And, and now being in the soil health position, it's even more interesting to kind of see how the things we do up here affect what happens further down river. Well, being a local from that area, then I think you're qualified to answer the question, did they get it wrong or did they get it right? Is it the Mississippi that dumps into the Missouri or is it the Missouri that dumps into the Mississippi? I think it's, I think it's a Missouri dumping into Mississippi. It's oh. Mississippi's going, it's, a, it's making a pretty straight line as it comes around the, comes around the bend there. But, uh, I'm, I'm team Missouri <laughs> all the way. I think it was robbed. Ah, it, it journeys all the way from Montana. It, it should be, it's like our national river. It should yeah. go all the way to the Gulf of Mexico. The Mississippi is a nice little fishing stream up in Minnesota that <laughs> trickles into the Missouri river. I, I'd, I'd like to know. I'm going to dig in. I'm going to find out how it was chosen. It might be worth digging into. Now, NRCS, USDA, RCCP, RCPP, all things we want to talk about. Okay. We're going to have to break these acronyms down so people can understand who you are, where you work, and what these agencies and programs do. Okay. So USDA, what is it? United States Department of Agriculture. And what do they do? So USDA is a broad agency, administer the farm bill, and they're working on one right now. They're supposed to be working on one right now. They take in everything from rural development and smaller neighborhoods and, and loans, fixing up homes, elderly, things like that, lower income. The USDA farm bill includes WIC and food stamps, so, so a lot of nutrition programs. And then you've got our, our kind of division that NRCS or Natural Resources Conservation Services under is called FPAC, which is Food Production and Conservation. And so under that, it is the NRCS, the FSA or Farm Service Agency, and then Risk Management, who administers the crop insurance through the Farm Bill. I think people often wonder why the food stamps in with the Farm Bill. But it's food security. That's exactly. what it comes down to. It's food security across our nation for all people. Yep. Agreed. It's an important aspect of what we're able to provide. Rural America is able to provide that for the rest of the country. It's food. 
it's probably the largest dollar amount in the farm bill. I mean, con- conservation and, and the things that go out through FSA don't even touch it. Well, let's talk a little bit more about NRCS. Yep. NRCS stands for? Natural Resource Conservation Service. So you're handling soil health, water. What else falls under the NRCS? Um, so we, we've got you know a lot of resource concerns, new applications and programs we look at. Uh, there's kind of a big 10 type resource concerns. They, they all fall under soil, water, air, plants, animals. We try to evaluate the human resource side of it as well. Under soil, there's soil quality. There's organic matter, depletion. Under plants, you've got nutrient management. You've got air quality, water quality, water quantity. So, so a lot of different sub-concerns under those, under those, those main ones. And your role as an information education outreach guy is to go around and do what? Yeah, so the soil health specialists here in Missouri, there's four of us uh, split out among the state, you know, kind of in each corner a little bit. Each of us covers a little bit of the center. But Missouri hired four soil health specialists probably, I think it was about seven or eight years ago. And, and that was kind of Missouri was, was on kind of in front of that. From a, from a nationwide standpoint, not every state has regional soil health specialists. Some of them just have one that covers the whole state. And uh, that's the way we started out with a gentleman by the name of Doug Peterson up out of the Gallatin, Missouri area. Doug was our state soil health specialist, and then he took a regional spot. And then when he did that, our state conservationists at the time thought, man, there's, there's a lot of soil health dollars you know, a lot of resource concerns there. We need to, we need more people to attack this and, and be able to spread the word. And so they went to four, but so what we do, you know, we go around, we've got these, we've got these trailers and we call it the rainfall simulator trailer. And it, and it has a, it has a, a rainfall simulator that comes out the side and we can put different trays from different management styles across, you know, Missouri fields, whether they be pasture, cropland, you know, now we're starting to do things out of high tunnels or gardens as, as we get into more of that in the St. Louis, Kansas City, Columbia areas. But we can put those management styles in the trailer and we rain on it and we see infiltration through those management systems versus runoff through those systems. And we go around, I, I've, been talking to, I've been talking to fourth and fifth graders here the last couple of weeks, you know, so we do, we do those types of groups. We do farmer groups. We'll talk to, talk to pasture folks and uh, I'll be going to a women in ag meeting here later in the week up in Kirksville one of my counterparts out of Northwest Missouri he just did a he did the simulator presentation at the the Missouri women in ag conference so he talked there we go down to the state fair we're at the Missouri State Fair the whole time and we set the trailer up and folks walk by and uh, you know we show it and show it to kids and, and we have other demos we do a slake test demo like the one that we showed in the Prairie Province video series there that there's another kind of a tabletop infiltration that we do. So those demos can be pretty powerful. They really are. The first one I saw uh, that I remember seeing at least was at Pheasant Fest up in Minnesota. Okay. So I I know it wasn't you, but it was one of your counterparts. And it's really, I guess it's funny to me that it's a fourth grade level, but maybe that's where I learned because it really hammered home what's going on with water hitting soil and how important having that soil covered is. So for anybody that's still not following what he's talking about on these um, demonstrations, they basically have different dirt composites, different soil composites, uh, some covered with cover crops, some have crops, some are just bare. 
And all they're doing is pouring water over it. And you get to see the effects right there up close and personal of, of water being poured over soil in different stages. And then you see the runoff that comes into these jars. And it's either clear or dirty or really dirty. So it, it's very rudimentary in yeah. you know, the technology. But man, it just works. Yep. It, I, for me, it, it floored me. And then when we came to your office and, and saw you do it again, I was like, all right, they're on to something here. This is really educational and yeah. it, it matters to people when they see it so clearly. Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, I've been, I've been in this position now for about a year and a half. Um, and I, and I helped the gentleman that was there before do set up the simulator, do some things. And, and he did a really good job, but it's interesting to, as you, as you do more and more of these, you know, farmers will be in the background or something and they go, you know, that thing never does change. Every time I see it done, there's really not a lot of differences. It really drives home the fact that those folks are, they're paying attention. And a lot of times somebody will say, you know, I, I, I didn't, I didn't know, you know, you mentioned one thing there. I, you know, I'd never heard that before. So, and they, they pick up a little something. I'm that way when I see other people give the presentation, you know, somebody always throws something else in there and I'm like, oh yeah, I didn't think about that. Just, just little things. When we talk to folks about, you know, find a scale to fail. That was, that was something that I, I picked up out at Salina, Kansas at Soul Health U last January. And I was like, man, that. That's huge, and, but but it's a simple statement that makes a lot of sense for folks that are trying to wrap their head around making these changes on their on their operations. And the outcomes of the water that's poured over bare soil compared to the water poured over covered soil, covered with vegetation, it's absolutely night and day. Oh yeah. So the grant that. Raceline and all of our partners have been awarded the Horizon 2 Climate Smart Commodities Grant. It focuses on cover crops and prairie restoration. Ultimately, we're going to take those feedstocks and put them into anaerobic digesters and make renewable energy from them. Gotcha. But it's the ecological benefits that the cover crops are bringing and the restored prairies bringing that's what's most attractive yep. to all involved, from the USDA all the way down. Clearly, we're on to something because we were awarded the grant. Yeah, yeah. But can you talk about the importance of, of cover crops and, and being able to protect water, and especially streams and creeks and rivers in our riparian areas with reestablished prairie? Like, Can you see why we were given this grant? Yeah. Why it's so important? No, definitely, Brandon. I mean, the, uh, you know, the big thing, not only the, the filtering standpoint of, of, of sediment you know, by, by keeping things covered, but the living roots and, you know, prairie grasses, I mean, the roots are amazing. I mean, I've got, I've got a slide in the, in the PowerPoint uh, that I give when I, when I do the rainfall simulator, you know, we, we show all these different prairie plants and we've got bluegrass up there and the bluegrass roots are about six inches deep in the ground. And then big blue stem, little blue stem, and there's a solid line at six feet and they all go well below that. So, you know, not only are we filtering soil that's exposed to pressures of falling rain, but we're, we're also, you know, we've got a living carbon inlet right there above ground with the plant and we're pumping carbon into the soil and down into the roots. That's huge. So, you know, from you guys standpoint of, of making that application for, uh, for that, that project, you know, not only are you guys soil erosion, less soil erosion and water, better water quality, you guys are also figuring out a way to, to pump carbon into the soil creating, I guess, in an essence, you know, the, the new 
there's a lot of talk about these uh, these carbon wells, these CO2 wells, where you know we're going to take CO2 from these these uh, biorefineries up in the northern Midwest, and and we're going to pump it down in the soil. Yeah, there's even carbon capture opportunities from the atmosphere. Yeah, to pump back underground. Yeah. I mean, we can do that with a growing plant. That's right. <laughs> I mean, it's, or we can just plant more trees. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, we're, we're doing that. Missouri just spent over $5 million here in the last year uh, trying to establish more warm season grasses in, in the state. So, or, or is most of that work done? It was spread out pretty good. You know, I think probably the southwest part of the state was a pretty good patch of it and, and probably the northwest part of the state just because it's, those grasses, especially your warm seasons, they tend to do better kind of in that southwest part of the state there. The, the climate's a little, it's, I guess it's a little more tailored for it. And then they have a lot more pasture land in the, in that part of the state than, than what we probably do in, in the northeast. And, and in the northwest, I mean, they've, they've got some pretty good rolling hills up there where they were able to, you know, put that, put that to work. And I guess I say northwest, you know, probably more of that north central-ish Kind of in there as you're, you know, getting either either side, kind of between 63 and 65 up there. You know, it's that's pretty. Some of that's some pretty rolling hills in areas. Yeah, the topography in Missouri sure does change. Oh man, from north to south. There's a lot of states that can say that though. I was in Montana a couple of weeks ago, and you know, from Glacier National Park to Broadus in the in the very southeast corner. Gotcha. Looks like you're on two different planets. I bet. Let alone in two different states. We yeah, we drove all the way to the northwest corner of the state. So when I, I drove from Missouri, when I got to Montana, I was like, Whew <laughs> We made it. We made it. <laughs> and then I looked at the map and I had eleven hours to go <laughs> within Montana. So Yeah. There's a we my family and I went out to Denver last year and we left from Macon and we just headed across thirty six, you know, and, and I'd been across northern Kansas earlier in the year, and I was like, oh, we'll just go out there and see. And, of course, I mean, north central Kansas was in horrible drought, and, uh, man, it, it just it was, it was tough. It was tough. There's nothing like Kansas, though, in a good wet year. Yeah. When those Flint Hills are lit up with prairie. Yeah. Incredible. I saw, I saw, a, pheasant, uh, I saw a pheasant out in Bird City, Kansas. It was the first pheasant I'd seen probably in about 12 years. <laughs> did, did you have pheasants growing up? No, we not not down in river bottoms. We didn't we didn't have any you know wasn't a lot of game birds because from a farmland standpoint, there's there's not a lot of there's zero fence rows back home because there's there used to be not a lot of livestock, rarely any. I mean, my my dad had some hogs growing up, but they were gone by the time I was you know about five six years old there in the early eighties uh, mid eighties, and so they were they were gone. I mean, pretty rough times. Where I grew up in Northwest Indiana, uh, we had a lot of pheasants. Yeah, I mean, I have these memories of pheasant hunts along what used to be railroad tracks. Yep. Uh, it ran behind my parents' property. They pulled the, the actual track off. So now it's a gravel road that goes through ag fields Yeah, with 10 to 15 yards of brushy grass along the side of the gravel road and then nothing but corn fields and yep. soybean fields. And then every once in a while you'd get to a, a small patch of timber or a small patch of of more grass or, or maybe a wetland. Gotcha. Yep. And there was one, we called it the cranberry bog. I doubt there was any cranberries anywhere <laughs> near, but there were bushes that had berries on them. Yep. So I guess as kids, we just associated with cranberries. There you go. And all these years later, now at least 30 years ago, I can, without even closing my eyes, see this scene of all of these pheasants underneath these 
low hanging branches that were just coated in snow, wet snow, and, and snow is falling down. And I mean, just one of the most beautiful scenes. Cool. You know, just beautiful pheasants running around in there. Every time I went, I had a bird dog, and, and every time I went, I would get my two pheasant limit. You know, every time that we wanted to do it. Nice. And now there isn't a pheasant to be found anywhere near. But the habitat still looks the same. Yeah. That's the weird part for me because we talk so much about just habitat loss and clearly that's a big component. Yep. But there's more to it than that. And um, as we look at what's gone on with pheasants and quail, and now we see a population decline in turkey, and you're starting to hear a lot of clamoring about it. And some people are like, oh, well, it's just a dip. You know, we'll tell that to a quail hunter from 25 years ago. Yeah. Because it went from being just a dip to gone. Yeah, gone. (laughs) And pheasants in the same way. So that's why I feel so good about working on what we're working on with the grasses and learning from people like you, even if it's at a fourth grade level. I still (laughs) really, really appreciate it. Yeah. No, there's, I mean, there's been, there's been a lot of habitat that, you know, I've seen, I mean, you know, the fence rows, you know, the old hedgerows just aren't there like they used to be. And, and especially up in Northeast Missouri, I've been up in Northeast Missouri now all, all my 21 years with NRCS and, and a lot of the guys that I worked with when I started, they were gentlemen used to work with Missouri Department of Conservation. He was an area biologist, been all over Missouri. And he's like, man, just, you know, the habitat's really gone down and, we used to see quail all the time and we'd hear them whistling and you'd see pheasants and he's like, we're just, we're just not seeing them anymore. We're just not seeing them anymore. And that was, you know, that was 10 years ago. It was just, it was pretty rare. I hear more quail whistling around out and about and uh, you get, you get excited when you hear that. And you're like, hey, yeah. there's, you know, Hey, we got some good things going on here. They're still here. They're around. <laughs> there's at least one. It's a rare find. It's a rare find. Yeah. When I would go hunting as a, as a boy, my uncle would take my cousin and my dad didn't go usually. So I would be told to like follow this fence row until you get to the T and then follow the fence row left until you get to the edge of the cornfield and follow that down to your stand. Yep. And 12 years old, pitch dark, just carrying a bow. And without doubt, somewhere along the way, I'd kick up a covey of quail. Yeah. And it would be the scariest thing that ever <laughs> happens because they just explode in the darkness all yep. around you. And that's that's something that doesn't happen yeah. anymore either. Yeah. I chased, uh, I was I was combining beans there last week back home and I was I was going along fence row and we there was one old dead stump and a lot of stuff growing up around it. And all of a sudden, you know, they come flying up out of there and I was like, oh man, that's awesome. Well, we're telling some personal stories here, and that makes me think about the aspects of your job that dial right down into individual contacts. You know, the individual out there in Missouri or Iowa, you know, anywhere NRCS is really, but for this conversation, Missouri, when they come to you, what is the individual coming to you for information about or help with? On my side now, uh, now that I'm not just kind of located in one office, folks are calling or, or asking me, Hey, what's a, you know, what's a good mix? You know, I've been doing, I've been doing rye for, you know, for the last four or five years and, and I want to do something different or, you know, we've never really put cover crops in front of corn. You know, we're, we're thinking about no-tilling corn. What, what, what's something we can put in? Can we plant crimson clover second week of October? Things like that, you know, or folks are like, Hey, we're thinking about grazing this or haying it, planting something, after corn, letting it grow, get through the winter. 
you know, maybe we're going to try and hay it off or we're going to graze it off before we plant soybeans next year. And so, so those are things that, that myself and, and my other counterparts get. We get a fair amount of questions from a grazing land health standpoint. The management intensive grazing is kind of falls under that soil health category because, you know, the, the big things that management intensive grazing promotes as far as diversity, rest, recovery, strong living plants above ground, strong living roots below ground, and less disturbance, those all fall under soil health. And so we can we can talk about management intensive grazing as as part of our spiel, so to speak, whenever we visit with folks. So and and there's there's a lot of different versions in Missouri of that management intensive grazing, whether whether we move them, whether we move them twice a day, whether we move them once a day, twice a week. It's it's pretty interesting to see that some of the folks that you know maybe the folks that are moving them twice a day now they started out moving them every two or three days four or five years ago and they and they started to see the benefits in their pastures and habitat along property lines and things like that and so they evolved to a more management intensive system once they got comfortable doing that. If there was one thing you wish people knew more about NRCS. What would that be? It would be, you know, that there's resources available there. I mean, sometimes folks folks may not go into their, or they may go into their office and, and there may be somebody newer. And, and right now we're, we're hiring a lot of new staff. And, and so they may not have all those experiences. But don't get discouraged, you know, if, if you walk in and, and you hear, oh, I don't know, or I'm not for sure. Hopefully those folks in the offices are going to, they're say, well, you know what? I'm not sure, but but we've got we've got a soul health specialist or we've got, We've got a wildlife specialist here that, that you know, we're going to put you in contact with or, or you know, I'm going to call them to come down to the office. I mean, I cover 30 counties. So, I, I you know, I tell, I tell all, all those individual counties, hey, if, you know, if you can't answer a question or you're having trouble, give me a call. I'll, I'll be more than happy to come out to the field and visit with these folks. And, and so we have a lot of people that can help out and, and, and give recommendations or offer an application for a funding, you know, opportunity that may be available and, and, and there's starting to be more, you know, like those, those regional conservation programs, you know, the RCPP stuff, kind of like what you guys, what you guys put in for that they're being offered in certain watersheds or certain States. They're really focusing on trying to paint the landscape in those areas with conservation and, and really trying to build up a, a depleted resource or resources in, in those in those watersheds. How can people get a hold of you? Myself, it's uh, just Lucas, L-U-C-A-S dot brass, B as in boy, R-A-S-S at USDA dot gov. Or uh, I'm located in the Rawls County field office there in New London. And the number there is 573-985-8611, extension three is, uh, is the best way to get a hold of me. So thank you very much, Lucas. Yep. Thanks, Brandon. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Prairie Prophets podcast with host Brandon Butler.